Hallelujah. Why don't you stand for the reading of the word? We've been kind of huddled around Luke chapter 1, verse 17. Media, if you'll throw that on the screen for me. But we're going to um, just read that off the screen. Then we're going to go to Luke chapter number 11. I'm having a hard time reading through these. I have my... <clears throat> what I have happened sometimes when I'm up here is I can't read anything. And the reason why that happens is because I have my distance in my contacts and I have my bifocal in my glasses. Nobody knows that, though, so don't tell anybody. And I've secretly hidden my bifocal. I've gotten old enough, Brother Moses, I need a bifocal. <laughs> but when I get up here sometimes, my contacts dry out. Uh, the Holy Ghost wind is moving so much that I cannot read anything. And so sometimes I have to completely leave my notes and just uh, remember what I had put in my notes. And uh, I used to think that was a bad thing until um, people started coming up to me and saying, you said some stuff I'm going through right now. And I said, oh, that was the Holy Ghost. That was the leading of the Lord. And so whether I have uh, the ability to read all this or not, I want you to know that um, you can read it when you get home. Amen. Luke chapter 1, verse 17, And he shall go before him in the spirit, this is talking about John the Baptist, in the spirit and power of Elias. And here's where we've been huddled around for this home series, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. I always say, hearts turned home. Yes, and the, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. How many know the Lord's coming back? How many have heard that all your life? Well, you know what that means? We're closer. We're just that much closer, and the people of God should always live ready for heaven. We should always live on fire for God. Amen. So I want to talk to you for a little while about hearts turned home, and Luke gives us a little bit of an illustration here of the prodigal son. And we're going to go to Luke 15, verse 11. The certain man had two sons. I hear pages turning. Luke 15, 11. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Give me my inheritance. So the father divided his inheritance unto them, all of his living, unto his living. And the next verse says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered together all together and took a journey into the far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all there, he arose, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country. And he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And when he thought, when he would feign, or when he thought, maybe I'll eat those corn husks, have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, everyone say, there's a point when someone comes to their self. You don't have to say all that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just realized I gave you a really long sentence to say. Everybody say, he came to himself. Notice that every change starts with mental. Everything starts with your mind. 
he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants my father have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise. First notice, he had to get up. He thought, and then he got up physically, and then he went to a, the place he was supposed to be. I must go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. His mind was still in the wrong place, even though his body was now in the right place. He was headed home. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father's house. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran. Everybody say ran. And fell on his neck and kissed him. And, and the son said unto him, I have sinned against heaven and against thee. I'm not worthy to be called thy son, but the father said unto him, bring forth the best robe. <coughs> robe is identity. <laughs> Anywhere in scripture you find their clothing identified them. And put it on him and put a ring which meant inheritance. He was still his son. On his hand it meant royalty. And, sho and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost is found and they began to be merry I want to preach to anyone that's been away from God for a while anyone that's been outside the house of the Lord or anyone that's been away from the king's house I'm going to put two stories together that don't really go together brother Reese and I'm praying that God will help me do that. And this sermon was set into this series long before you got here. So if this speaks directly to your situation, this was planned before we even knew you'd be here. So that means that God wanted you here today. Amen? All right. Let's talk about hearts turned home. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. May it bless the hearer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. On September 11, 2001, nearly 3,000 people were killed. 400 were police officers and firefighters. And a terrorist attack on the World Trade Center in New York City. At the Pentagon, the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and build, building in Washington, D.C., and a plane crashed in Sharksville, Pennsylvania. All of them destined to be used as a weapon. 9-11 was the first terrorist attack on the world, was not the first terrorist attack on the World Trade Center. There was a bombing in February of 93, which killed six people, but never had there been such a disastrous attack as 9-11 on American soil. Any given workday, there was up to 50,000 employees that worked at the WTC Twin Towers. And on the additional 40,000 Additional 40,000 passed through the complex every day. After September 11th attacks on the World Trade Center, the rescue and recovery cleanup efforts cleaned up 1.8 million tons of wreckage from the towers from that site. It took nine months to remove the devastation. And the passengers on board the different planes all lost their life that day, and today we remember. How many have heard or seen some memorials to 9-11 this weekend as it was 
this last Saturday. How many have seen or heard stories of those that were brave and valiant? Heard just recently that the attacks on the World Trade Center resulted in the largest loss of life by a foreign attack on American soil that we've ever had. That there was 18 people rescued alive from the rubble of the World Trade Center site. And that those that went in were forever changed. For now, some of the reports that I read said that anyone that was on site at Ground Zero that breathed the debris and breathed the dust had advanced asthma issues kick off and had troubles with their lungs. And there is, at this point right now, only a five-year expectancy for anybody still to live about five years longer that were on the grounds at that site cleaning up because there was just so much debris and asbestos or, or damaging chemicals in the air from the fall of those buildings. And even with all of that, there were good men and good women who ran in to the danger. There was people that went in as servicemen and women with no thought for their own life. And one was an excavation worker who was clearing different sections of the buildings. And when he got into the atrium of Building 6, which was completely demolished by the first tower that fell on top of it, he walked into a little open area, kind of like a grotto area, where there was all these crosses and one major cross. It was over two tons worth of steel that was just planted into the ground that came from Tower 1 and entered through into the atrium of Building 6 and just stuck in the ground. And the pictures and the stories that came back where the, the, the grace of God showed up and helped the workers and gave them strength and were there for them. And there, there was a moment where as he was walking through, he was a New Jersey boy, but he was, a, he was born in New York. He's born and bred in, in, in New York. And so he, he drove in to help and, and when he got there, they gave him a can of paint, and they were supposed to go from place to place, clearing as best they could, and they were supposed to spray an X on the area once they had cleared the area, and there was no one left there to remove um, as far as someone who had lost their life. And he walked into this open area where this big cross was, and he said he just fell on his knees in exhaustion after a day full of trying to clear rubble and find anyone alive. And when he got there, he just fell, and he said he cried like a baby. He just was so exhausted. And after a few minutes, he pulled himself together, and he got up, and he walked back to the opening that had led him into that area where this great cross was. And he, instead of putting a cross above the door, he actually spray-painted spray God's house. And from that point on, service men and women came and prayed and wept and sat before God at this place that was in the middle of the rubble and he felt so clear that God spoke to him and said what the enemy meant for evil I will turn for good and God has used those stories and the men and women in those situations to talk about how they were heroic and how they reached for people and how they changed lives and how things were all altered 
from a horrible situation into the belief and understanding that even in the midst of the worst moments, the place to be is at the house of God. That they painted it on the door and said, this is a horrible thing that has happened by the hands of evil men. But even in this moment, I'm going to label something in the midst of the evil as a place where God can dwell, that God can come and change everything that's wrong and make it right, that he can, he can alter things for good that were only meant for evil. Who serves anything like that unless it is Jehovah, God of the Old Testament, the, the God who is El Shaddai, who literally can take and roll over anything that's evil and make it good, the God who can take and, and cause things in our life to be altered for the best. And I'm thankful that I know a God like that. I'm thankful that I know a God who can turn all of these things to good, that the broken can help those in their brokenness. For it is the DNA of the broken to help those that are broken. Amen. Psalms 46, 1 through 5 gives us a beautiful place of understanding about the house of God. It tells us in scriptures that God is our refuge and strength. Anybody know him to be that? A very present help in trouble. He's a very real help. Some of the times when I felt God so close was in trouble. Amen? He's a very real help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountain be carried into the midst of the sea. The waters, though the waters therefore roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Think about that is what Selah means. There is a river, the streams, whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. Amen? Or of the house of God, one translation says. God is in the midst of, of her. She shall, be, she shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early. It is a professional. It is a prophecy, but it also is for the church. Amen? That we understand that when we make God our refuge and strength, he becomes a sacred house of the Most High for us. That when we put ourselves in Christ Jesus, he becomes home. And what makes home home is that Jesus is there. Amen? You would not come here very long if you could not feel Jesus in the house. I tell you, you would find a place where you got ministered to and helped. But because you feel Jesus here, it starts to make it feel like home. When we get in the presence of Almighty God and his spirit begins to move, our spirit registers with that spirit and God knows and we we know that God is near. Amen. He is our refuge and he is our strength. So in Luke chapter 15, we step into a story of a young man who gets bank and decides he's going to go do his own thing. He gets handed money, but he didn't earn it. And oftentimes those that don't know how to earn it spend it well. Amen. And so he decides he's going to go into a far country and live riotously with harlots and with drunkenness and different things. It's funny how all your friends show up if you're paying the bill, amen? It's funny how they don't show up when you're not buying the booze, you're not buying the smoke, you're not buying the stuff. It's interesting how you can party hardy until all of a sudden you have no money and then nobody's interested in being around you. Your friends are fake when you're in the world, brothers and sisters. Oh, that's not so easy, Pastor, for me to swallow. But guess what? Find out who helps you move when you need to move. Amen? Call, call all your friends and say, hey, I'm moving this weekend. Come on over. The ones that show up, they are the real friends. Amen? 
They're the ones that are going to, are going to stick with you because those that are for you can't leave you and those that are against you can't stay. Amen? Sooner or later, you find some people. There's only a few folk that you can call your best friends in life. You'll find a few people that you need to hang on to. And old friends are good friends, brothers and sisters. But if, if you want to know the people that are really for you, just, just tell them you're broke and see how long they stay. <laughs> okay, I'll get back to my sermon notes now. He said that, Dad, give me what is mine. And Dad did. And he went to live in riotously. Unfortunately, all the things that come with that lifestyle leave you just as fast as they showed up and oftentimes leave you worse than when you came. And it, it, it is interesting that I find him living in a place where he would never be a Jew taking care of pigs. It was against their religion. Even in that day, it was against their whole uh, um, religious structure to deal with pigs. It wasn't until later on that we see a more, under, more understanding in Peter where he gets the, the vision from Njapa rooftop that, hey, God's going to go to the Gentiles. He's going to go to whatever nation he wants to but in this situation this is a jewish young man in with in in the in the pig pen with pigs and that was just um, unheard of in this situation so jesus is telling the story here in scripture about a young man who was completely in the wrong place he he should have never been where he's at and and he comes to himself in his mind and he says you know what i can go back to my father's house and live better than this i can go back to my father's house and i can live healthier than i'm living right now and mind body, soul, and spirit. I want you to know that it, when you walk with God and when you call the house of God your home, it blesses your children and their children. We talked about it last week that we're not taking a vow of poverty, but the righteous man scripture talks about leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So when you walk with God, it does put wealth into your life. You're not living for wealth. We're living for the riches of heaven and the riches of God's word. But when we live for God, it automatically establishes things in as we pray and we seek God and we get prophecies in our life of blessing, God already orchestrates a beautiful thing in our life where we walk into some wealthy things. Amen. We have to understand also, even as though I'm, I'm doing a little bit of review, we have to understand also that we're not tied to our wealth. If our money goes up, we have high praise. If our money goes down, we still give high praise. Amen. He owns our hallelujah. I was telling prayer Thursday night. He owns all of us, everything, every bit of me. If my health fails, I give him a hallelujah. If my health is strong, I still give him high praise. If I lose the kidneys, I give him high praise. If I lose the house, I give him high praise. If I lose the car, I give him high praise. If he gives me all the blessings that others look at and say, I wish I had that. I still give him high praise. It's not the things, brothers. It's the one who gave them that we worship. And he was focused on the things. Father, give me, give, give me. I wish the church would lose the give me spirit. As a pastor, I wish we'd lose that spirit in the church and get a give back spirit, a run into the towers kind of spirit, a, a person who is not interested in the glory but is interested in saving whoever they can. Amen. Proverbs 4 and 27, 23 and 24 says that out of the heart flows the issues of life. He's actually a beautiful scripture that gives us an anchoring for the understanding of our heart's desires. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. How many have heard just 
pursue your heart. Just chase your heart. Just, just do what's on your heart or, 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 or pursue what your heart wants. That is the most devastating lie from the pit of hell. Because you have to understand that love is a choice, brothers and sisters, and, and everything that you do in your life needs to start head first and then heart. In other words, what you need to do is when your heart says, I love this, you need to go to the Word of God and say, does God bless me loving that? Does God honor me loving that? Is that something that I should let my heart pursue and fall in love with and build structures around? Because your heart is deceitful above all things, Scripture says, and your heart will tell your mind and you'll have an internal conflict go on all your life if you just start giving your heart everything it loves. Brothers and sisters, I can sit on my couch and fill the, my entire living room with uh, Girl Scout cookies because my heart loves them, but it's not healthy for me. What your heart falls in love with may not be healthy for you, not only physically, but spiritually. Almost every time what your heart falls in love with or what people say, oh, just pursue your heart. Brothers and sisters, there is the most damaging and, and most train wrecks and the most destroyed lives of people that just pursued their heart. But if you will put your heart in a, in a walk with God, if you will say, Lord, like David, would you just give me a heart after the things of God? In other words, would you take the desires of my heart and would you let them line up with the principles of your word? And in so doing, all of the consequences of life flow out of that. In other words, the issues of life, your issues have issues because you chased the things of your heart. But if you start putting the word of God in your mind, if you start putting the word of God in your heart, yes, brothers and sisters, in your heart, you will not sin against God. Why? Because he completes you. He gives you the desires of your heart. When you get in the will of God, he says, no, you don't need that. No, you don't need that. No, that will destroy your marriage. No, that will, that will break down your home. But this is what I want you to do I want you to start to fall in love with this fall in love with my presence fall in love with serving others fall in love with giving of yourself because when you give you're greatly blessed find a place where you surrender your heart because out of it one one scripture says it is the springs of life out of it is the source of life and all consequences flow from what you let your heart fall in love with be careful not to fall in love with alcohol be careful not to fall in love with a certain kind of drug. Be careful not to fall in love with things. Why? Why would people do that? Why would people sit on a bar stool and hate being drunk and yet still be getting drunk? Why would they know better in their brain that this, this is not helping my house, my home, my life? It's costing me. I'm putting this night on the credit card just so I can drink. Why would they be sitting there on that bar stool and still be there? Because their heart fell in love with the environment, with the friends, and with the things that go along with the alcohol. The running from the problem, the coping, the alcohol became their refuge, and it's destroying them in weakness. But our refuge is supposed to be the God of all glory, because he's not just a refuge that weakens us. He's our refuge 
and our strength. He's the only thing on this planet that you can cope with life with and still be strong. He's the only thing in life that you can cope with and still get stronger in the presence of God. Everything else you run to will make you help you cope. Yes, it'll push it away for a while. It'll push the pain out for a while. It'll numb it all for a while, but it only makes you weaker. But if you run to God, if you tell God, take my heart, they put it back on you, Jesus. Let me fall in love with the things that make me a, a person that runs to the house of God. Help us, Lord Jesus, to turn our hearts home to you, Lord. Lord, help us. And for everyone that's ever done any of that, please know that the moment you turn around, the father's sitting on the front porch on the swing, just looking out. He's just swinging, waiting. Are they coming home? Are they coming home tonight? Is the sun going to set or will they come over that horizon? He was watching for his son to come home. And when his son came, it says the father ran. And that's the only place in scripture, Brother Rob, I've told you before, where it says the father ran. The only place in scripture where it said that God runs to somebody. He runs to you. In other words, the moment you turn around and start walking back to him is the moment he runs to you. He said, I'll pick you up. I'll hold you in my arms. And I will love you. Oh, you smell like pigs. You smell like husks. You smell like the mud you were in. But I still love you. He didn't ask them to bathe the son. He didn't ask them to clean the son. He didn't ask him, would you make him look more royal? Would you make him look more like our family name? He just put a garment on him and said, I love you. Put the best robe on him. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, sir. You know what this robe is made of? <laughs> You're going to put it on that? I'm not saying we put the, the robe of glory on on frail shoulders of people who don't want to walk out of their sin. I'm saying it's people who have come to God and said, show me grace, God. Put grace on my life and I'll stop. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'll get in a treatment program. I'll do whatever I have to do. If it costs me, I don't care. I'm going to change. I'm going to do what, what blesses my family. I'm talking about those kind of people, people that come to their senses and say, this isn't the best life. This isn't the best life. I want a better life in Christ Jesus. And they turn around and God runs to them, puts a garment on them and a ring and says, you're my son. Another story in scripture is in 2 Samuel 9 and 13 and it's of Mephibosheth. Anybody know that story? These two stories may not go together except for that I'm talking about God's house, the king's house. And I was just drawn to it, not because I think it's, all applicable, but I do think it's very applicable in some areas. And you can read it in 2 Samuel chapter number 9, verse, 13, verse 1 and down. And David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. David desired to show kindness to the house of Saul because of Jonathan. And so, and, he, and when he had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God? Everybody say, Kindness of God. 
Oh, that's a beautiful concept. Unto him. And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son who is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, where is he? Go and get him. Notice that God knows right where he was at. Notice that God knows right where you are at. Amen. Regardless of your situation. And Ziba said unto the king, behold, he is in the house of Micah, the son of Emil in Lodabar. And the king David sent and fetched him out in the house of Micah and the son of Emil from Lodabar. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, Answer. And he answered, Behold thy servant, or I'm here to serve you. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of, the Saul, of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dog as I am? And then notice that now he's in the right place, but his mind is not. He still looks at himself as a dead dog. And then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertaineth to Saul and to all his house. Thou, therefore, and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him. Everybody say, for him. And thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said unto the king, according to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. And as for Mephibosheth said, said the king, he shall eat at the father, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. In other words, he said, I don't care how lame you are. See, there's there's something that happened here. We we see Saul. He's in he's he's a king that was stately, and he was a king that was head and shoulders above the rest. Circumcised the eighth day, stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. He was everything that you would want in a king. But they chose a king over God, who is their king of kings. And God was okay. You can choose a king. And Saul, of course, became a, a disgrace and a pride, the pride that rose up in him. And then Saul dies, and Jonathan dies. And when they hear about it. The, the nurse in trying to care for him scoops him up and runs out because anytime a king is destroyed, if, if there's someone trying to take the throne, they usually wipe out the rest of the king's family in order to take the throne. And she was concerned that this would happen to little Mephibosheth. So she grabbed him up at five years of age and in an attempt to run and hide him, she tripped or she dropped him. And in the way that he fell, lamed both of his legs and he was lame from that day on. How many know people that had something happen early in their life and they have still to this day, they are older but they are still always talking about something that happened when they were in their 20s or in their 30s or always talking about a bitterness that fell into their life or a place where they got dropped out of a relationship or they got dropped out of a hardship and they, they've been through some difficult things because of the way that they were dropped when they were younger. Anybody know somebody who lives in bitterness and have not taken it to the house of God? He lived in Lodabar, away from 
the place where he was supposed to because he had king's DNA in him. But he wasn't living like a king because of what was broken in his life. And I know people who have tried to come to God and their brokenness has pulled them out of the church. Their brokenness has pulled them away from the king's house. And today, if you're watching online, I'm so glad you're headed home. I'm glad to tell you that the father's coming off the porch and he loves you. And in this service today, just turn your heart back to home. Turn your heart back to God and he will handle any of the broken things in your life. That is my message, my lifelong message. I preach it all the time because I have the same DNA in my life. I have the same DNA of being broken and God healing me and rising up and standing on feet that used to be broken. And if you are there, if you're watching online and you're there, God will pick you up in his arms and he'll deal with everything that was lame in your life, everything that was broken in your life. He will help you with it because he's not a God who shames people. He's a God who heals lame people. He reaches out and he wraps you in his arms and he brings you home to the king's house. And that is what David is doing. He loved Mephibosheth because of Jonathan, but he also loved Mephibosheth because David knew what it was like to be broken. David knew what it was like to be fallen. David knew what it was like to have situations that were not pleasant. And David's in the processes of securing his kingdom. And he's already called for Micah, his wife, to come back. And he's already called for these different things to happen. And maybe Zybar thought he was just looking for any last heirs of Saul to kill him off. But he said, no, I'm not interested in killing them off. I want to bless them with the kindness of God. You see, only the kindness of God in your heart can allow you to bless somebody that curses you in your face. Only the kindness of God in your heart can help you walk like God in this earth and love people who walked out on you, love people who said bad things about you, and just run to God with it and leave it at the house of God and say, God, you know what they said, you know what they did, and I'm not going to live with it anymore, but I'm going to show them the kindness of God in my life. Somebody needs to hear that. There's someone that said something about you, did something to you, and you forever have kept it in the closet, and you open it up every once in a while and dust off that dirty offense and say, yeah, that was dirty, all right. Look what they did to me. But I'm asking you to leave it at God's house today, to turn your heart back toward God and leave the offense at the cross where it belongs because he took on all of our offenses. He took on all of our woes, all of our pain, all of our struggle. He took on everything that makes us lame and walked it to a cross. Thank you, Jesus, for seeing the broken and saying, I'll extend my kindness to you. I don't care where you are, what you've done. I don't care what your opinions are on the Bible or on God. I'm telling you, he runs to those that turn toward him. You may not know much about God at all. You may not be able to quote much past John 3.16 or Acts 2.30. It doesn't matter. He will run to you if you turn your heart to him. He will run to you. And so I see the story of Mephibosheth. And David is being so kind to him. And he's like, hey, uh, I was living in the wrong place. Now you're going to bring me to the palace. And David, like the king of kings would say, he says, I'm going to not only give you a place at the table, but I'm going to give you all the things back that you lost. I'm going to give you everything back that was lost I'm going to give you all your father's land. I'm going to give you all these things. And Mephibosheth, I'm sure, was thinking the same things. So David addressed it. 
How am I going to work the land? How am I going to do anything good with all of that? Thanks for giving it back, but I don't have the skill sets. I'm so broken. I can't do anything with what you're giving me. This inheritance is great, but I don't have the capabilities in my body to do anything with what all I have been given. How am I going to do it? And David said, I'm going to appoint Ziba and his sons, and they're going to work the land for you, and they're going to bring in the harvest for you, and they're going to treat you right as the son of a king. In other words, I'm going to bless you with things and houses you didn't build and wells you didn't dig. That is God's plan all the way through the Old Testament to give you places you did not earn. You don't have to earn it when you come to God. In other words, there is a place in God where you just step forward with your faith and say, if you say it, King, I believe it. However, it's going to work out. I don't know how it's going to work out, but God's going to provide. I tell you, God's got a building for this church. God's got a plan for this church. God's got a plan for your life. God's got a home for your family. God's got a place of security somewhere in him and man. And I believe it in Jesus name that he's got a place for you at his table. And there was not supposed to in the law, there was never supposed to be crippled or affirmed or infirm people in the presence of the king. So just having Mephibosheth walk in was a, a great and noble thing for King David. And he says, come here, Mephibosheth. I know you're broken. I know it's been a long time since you've been at the king's house. I know you've been away for a long time. And if there's any prodigals listening online, I tell you, don't matter how long you've been away. It does not matter how long you've been away. There's a place at the king's table for you. I believe that because there was a place left for me. I, growing up, you know, I would just kid going to church. I didn't think much about it because we did it every day. We, we almost went to church every day and watched if the, if the preacher was going to paint the back wall, we'd come take the pews and watch it dry. We were just the church goingest family you ever saw. My, I had a drug problem when I was younger. My mom drugged me to and from church almost every night. And we would go to church and I, I sat next to Jimmy Blackshear and Played the tambourine, and he'd reach back and unvelcro my shoes while we're playing in service, and then cross them and velcro them back where I'd trip on myself if I got up. I grew up in church, but when I got in high school, I started getting pressures. Hey, let's sneak out. Let's go get drunk. Let's do this. And I was a horrible sinner. I I couldn't do I couldn't do sinning right. I'd sneak out, and you'd see my snow tracks going to the car. <laughs> my mom would be like, "That boy doesn't know how to sin." He's no good at sinning. <laughs> I'd be coming back in, and I'd be walking in the same tracks to get back to my window of my house, thinking I'm doing a good thing. And she's like, what's this boy doing? He walked out in the same tracks. There's tracks. I can see you leaving, boy. I was a horrible sinner. I got to a party and got a Budweiser can, and I couldn't handle the taste of beer. Oh, Lord, that stuff smells so horrible. And, and I just held the can all night. Everybody's like, hey, getting drunk, huh? I'm like, oh, I got one can. I hadn't done anything with it, but that's all. I was a horrible sinner. I didn't do sinning right. You think if I was going to leave the church, I'd just, I'd just live it up. Still playing drums every Sunday. Didn't know I was smoking with my buddies in high school. Nobody knew that. I'd still come in and play drums every Sunday, but the drums, the service, coming to the house of God, 
every week. It didn't matter what I was tempted to go do. Every week, coming to the house of God pulled me back into the church. It, it sucked me right back in because I realized that stuff is empty. There's nothing out there for your heart that satisfies you. And when I feel the presence of God at the house of God, I'd say this is something that is beyond life. This is something that's more beautiful than anything I could experience from a bottle or a joint. There's nothing out there that will make me this at peace in my life. And I just kept playing the drums and kept living for God. And eventually I walked down to the right side, the left side, really, my right. My mom used to play the piano, and she'd play the piano with fervor. She was a good old Pentecostal. She'd start playing the piano, and she got anointed. She'd, she'd play higher than she usually would. She'd be playing, da, da, I'm so glad that the Lord saved me. I'm so glad that the Lord saved me. And she'd start lifting her fingers. I'm, had I been for Jesus, where would I? I mean, you could pass a book between the chords she was playing. It's like, and you knew something was about to happen. And she would play and get so excited, and she would take off running. Woo! Woo! I remember I invited my friend, and we sat right down front, and he'd never been in a Pentecostal church before. And I was like, Lord, please don't let anybody lose their mind in worship today. Please let them all have an a internal touch of the Spirit of God. Let them all feel a deep, deep presence of God. My buddy was sitting there, and I was sitting there, and my mom starts doing the piano playing, and her hands are getting further away from the keys, and I'm, I'm going, Lord, no. Lord, no. She takes off at my friend's like, He's like, I'm, if I didn't have, if he wasn't right next to me where I could grab him, I think he would have bolted out the door. And my mom's, woo, woo, and she goes all the way around the church. The, the musicians don't have a choice. I mean, it's not like now where everything's, you know, in your ear and they're hearing the tick, you know, the clicking, and they're like, a band, all in now. You know, they're not getting all these cues where, she left the, the main instrument on the platform and left the whole worship team going, what? They just kept playing. Like, if it was only my mom and there was no guitar, the drummer just kept the beat. Do get, do get, do get, do get. I mean, it wasn't hard. Any monkey could play early Pentecostal beats. Like, one, two, one, two, one, two. But this, this was me sitting there, like, turning red, going, no, this is... And I had to understand that my mom wasn't dancing for show. My mom wasn't dancing because it was just emotional. Yeah, brother. She wasn't just dancing for just emotionalism. She had come out of so much brokenness that she was grateful to be offered a place at the table of the king. She was grateful that there was still a spot for her, that he came for her. In all of her Mephibosheth moments, and she walked into the house of God lame and hurting, and every time she came in, she left as a daughter of the Most High. He would put a robe back on her and put a king, a ring on her hand and say, you are my daughter, and you're raising those boys, and you just keep raising that daughter of yours, and someday God's going to show you how important it was to take them to the house of God every single Sunday, and it built my life, brothers and sisters, and it'll build yours too. 
It will build your children. If they try to run from God, they try to get into drugs or alcohol, you do not chase a prodigal. They will run further into the world. You let them go. You let them go. If they're going to go sow their wild oats, they're going to still go sow their wild oats whether you chase them or not. But if you will get on your knees and pray, if you will begin to seek God at his house, God will turn them around, bring them home, bring them to the house of God every chance you get when they're babies and when they get older and they feel like they want to sow some wild oats they'll realize nothing feels like the presence of God nothing is as good as the presence of God nothing is as good as being in the house of God and their hearts will turn back to home so there's no running here there's no running away from God here I'm just happy I have a place at the table and while there may have been some scribes sitting around going, hey, David, David, you, you cannot have a layman in the presence of the king. That's, a, that's wrong. David said, bring Mephibosheth up to the table. And they put his lame feet under the table. And when he sat at the table, he looked like every one of the sons of the king. Could not see what was broken. God covered it. God will cover everything broken in your life. He'll cover it with his blood. You can walk out of addictions. You can walk out of problems. You can walk out of struggles. You can walk. I don't care how many divorces are behind your name. I don't care where you've been or what you've been through. Come to God's table. He'll put all that brokenness under the blood. He'll put all that brokenness under the table. And he'll say, you are a son and a daughter of the king. Would you stand with me tonight, today? I'm trying to make the day go faster than it is. Thank you, Jesus, for every Mephibosheth in this room. I thank you for every person who came into your presence thinking, I'm just, I'm just a dog. I've done some things I don't even want to talk about. I bind the shame of that because that was not your thinking as a king. You said, I have a table for you, spread for you. Let me tell you one last thing, and then I'll get out of your way. You can go get some good lunch <laughs> somewhere. That young man that I was bringing to church, he said, I've been looking for something like this all my life. A place where people don't care about how they look. They just want to worship God with all of themselves. And we baptized him and God filled him with the Holy Ghost. But in that, I learned a very valuable point, And that is that when God calls you to the table and when you are exuberant about your worship to God, don't worry about what other people think. You're in the king's house. And everything is welcome at the king's house. Amen? Everything that's good and healthy and wholesome is welcome at the king's house. Everything that's lame and broken and, and completely um, uh, something that brings shame is welcome at the king's house because he'll cover it all. I got a place for you to for, for you to sit down, Mephibosheth. That's what he's saying. In other words, he said, "I'll take the pressure off your broken places. I'll take the things that you would say, oh, look at all this disaster in my life." He said, "I'll put a cross right in the middle of all the disaster, and I'll bring you out. I'll take the I'll take the pressure off the places that hurt." He says. 
all the things and the scars, the tissue. And, you know, uh, I'm, I'm automatically a Jeremiah up here. I'm going to weep when I preach. You just got to get used to it. I just, I'm a weeping prophet. No, I won't even say prophet because sometimes I feel like I'm less prophetic and more pathetic. But still, I do believe that God is speaking to me to tell me that God wants to take the pain off the broken places of your life and sit you at the king's table today. That he'll lift the wounds, he'll lift the places of hurt. Whether it's family or someplace else, the best place for you to be is for you to turn your heart to the house of God. I feel like there's somebody that's been carrying some heavy things. I've got a place for you at the king's table at this altar today. You're welcome to come and let him take the weight off. Come on, come back, come, come back to God. Come home to the Lord. I don't know who you are, and I'm not even looking. Just come on home. Come find a place to pray. Not because I'm asking you to. You can do whatever you want to, but I pray that somewhere in your heart, there's a turning to God. Somewhere in your heart, there's a place to turn home. And it's right here. It's right now. It's in this moment. God sees you. God sees you. God sees you. He sees you. He's going to run from that porch to you. Come on, Mephibosheth. Come on, prodigal son. God will turn you home. God will turn you home. He'll put a robe of righteousness on you. He'll put a ring that says, you're my son, you're my daughter. Is there a family member you want God to put a robe on? Pray him home. Pray him home. Don't chase him. Pray him home. Right now in the name of Jesus. Just one you. Turn our hearts home, Jesus. You are our hope, Lord. Just one you. There's God lifting burden right now. There's God lifting, lifting the weight off of your broken places. You thought those things were going to define you all your life. You thought the broken, lame, and the lame places of your life would be defining you, would be calling what you are and what you will be, but that's not the case. Today you have a place at the king's table, and underneath that table may be all the brokenness, but above the table you're just as strong and just as rightfully heir to the throne as any of the other sons and daughters. It doesn't matter whether you came through brokenness or you came through the best life. You're welcome at the king's table. No, I don't we love you, Lord, for making a way for us. We love you, Lord. Lift you. up a praise. Lift up a worship in your heart. Thank you, God, just for making a way home for us, for bringing us into God's house, for giving us the desires of our heart to turn us home in you, Jesus. Come on, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. He's going to put a cross in the middle of the disaster. He's going to put a, a moment that turns you around. I pray somebody who's a prodigal has their heart turned. That they have, that they come to themselves. They come to an understanding that my best life is in you, Jesus. Just want you. I don't want it if you're not in it. I don't want it if you're not in it. I just want you. Hallelujah. We pray, we pray, we pray. I don't want it if you're not in it. I just want you. I just want you, Jesus. I don't want it if you're not in it. You are what makes home home. Just want you. Your heart.